Uh, if you will turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, we take a break from Acts this week and probably next week as well. Uh, Acts, uh, we're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6. It is a, a really important text in the Old Testament, which we'll explore together as we think through together uh, about what it means to be a, a godly father. So we're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God is in your midst as a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and He destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and His testimonies and His statutes which He commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We, are Pharaoh's slaves, and we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are to this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all his commandment before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You for Deuteronomy chapter 6. We thank You for what You did as You brought uh, Your people out of Egypt and, and brought them into a land flowing with milk and honey. We thank You, Father, for the even greater riches that we have in Christ and the promise of the true promised land. 
Father, as we look at your word now, I pray that you would help us by your spirit. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would grant us unction and anointing uh, for the hearer and the preacher alike. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You know, the old line amongst preachers is on Mother's Day, you're real nice. You say kind things to mothers, and then on Father's Day, you let the men have it. Um, That's not my desire today. On the other hand, I do want to challenge the men here. So I seek to challenge myself. Men, as we seek to lead our wives and our children, as we seek to lead in the church, if God has called you to be an officer. See, God has called men uniquely to a position of leadership in the home and in the church. This isn't a chauvinist thing. God has designed it as such. Both men and women are created equal in the sight of God. Both are made in His image and are created to have um, relationship with Him and with each other. Um, But God has called men to ultimately be the leaders uh, and to answer to Him uh, for the spiritual health of His family and if a church officer, those under His care. That's actually, that's one of the reasons why desiring to be an officer in the church is such a weighty matter. Okay, it's a very weighty matter. So, how do, how, how do we become godly fathers? How do we do this thing that we desire? We desire, hopefully, you desire to be a, a godly father or a godly grandfather or perhaps a father figure in someone else's life and to lead your wife well. How, how do we do this? Well, Deuteronomy 6 helps us as we think through these things. What's the context here? Well, the book of Deuteronomy is recording is a recording of a series of five sermons that Moses gives uh, to the Israelites before they're about to go into the promised land. God had met with them at Mount Sinai. He had given them the Ten Commandments and formed them into a nation. And then he led them to the border of the promised land. But the problem is the first time that he led them to the border of the promised land, they disobeyed out of fear and they would not enter into the promised land. And so all those under the age of 20 outside the, uh, the, Le- the Levites, uh, had to die. And so they wandered, over 20, that's what I meant to say, uh, and so they wandered around for 40 years for that generation to die off, including Moses. Moses couldn't go in either. And so this is 38 years after Sinai, 40 years after coming out of Egypt. And again, they are on the edge of the Promised Land, overlooking into Canaan, looking over the Jordan, And so Moses um, has a series of five sermons that he gives to them uh, from the Lord, prophetic word, to help them as they uh, seek this time, hopefully, to be obedient in taking over Canaan. Well, verses 1 through 3 give us a summary statement of what the rest of the text has to say. It gives us the reason for these commands. Basically, they are told here how to take the land and how to stay in it. Verse 1 tells us, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you're going to possess it. Now it's really clear from this text and others that the land in which they were going was not their land. Whose land was it? It was God's land. It was God's land, and so as they went into it, they had to follow God's design for how to live in it. This is our lives, right? To whom do our lives belong? Ultimately to the Lord. And so we are called to live our lives in accordance to that which God requires of us. It's kind of like if you seek to do something 
uh, opposite to a user manual, usually bad things happen. I was uh, cutting some license plates with my um, miter saw. And, uh, and you know what happens when you use metal on a saw blade that's meant for wood? It dulls it. I know that's a real surprise to you, right? And so what, you know, we are called to live the way that God has desired us to because our lives belong to Him, and this land did. And guess what? Our families belong to God as well. Our families belong to God. Our children belong to God. This is one of the things that we acknowledge when we baptize our infants. And now I unreservedly dedicate my child to God. It's the first thing you say, the first vow. The verse 2, I think, is especially important. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all His statutes and His commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long uh, some people in other uh, streams of Christianity will talk about a life verse. Have you ever heard of this? Some people talk about a life verse. You know, some verse that just so impacted them that it really, they've kind of adopted it as one. I, I don't know that I have one, but this would be a good one for fathers, for you and me to, to take. Because it, it especially calls us to two things. One, that we and they might fear the Lord our God. And that two, that we might pass down our faith to them. To fear God here doesn't mean to be terrified of Him. This is not a phobia kind of fear, but rather the reverential awe and worship that we owe Him. It's, it's basically shorthand for being a Christian. There is a reverential fear that we owe to God because He is the one who created all things. Uh, in the words of one preacher, a buddy of mine, he says, he, he tells his son, he says, now you can tell me anything, just remember who you're talking to. That's a helpful way to think through that, isn't it? Uh, and sometimes I'll have to say, now back up and remember these two rules. <laughs> you know? and, and that's our relationship to God. And, and so um, we are called to fear the Lord our God, to persevere in our walk with the Lord. But as we think about our children, our prayer is that they would not just persevere, that they would walk with a deep, fervent, vibrant faith. But first, it has to start with us. First, it had men, fathers, grandfathers. It starts with us, doesn't it? See, in order to pass down the faith, we must first have it. So we are called to fear the Lord our God so that we might pass it down to our sons and our sons' sons, our children and our children's children. My father is an amazing man. He is an amazing example of this. You've heard this story many times, and you'll hear it many more. I don't have many stories he became a Christian in his mid-30s at my age. And three months after that, he passed down the faith to my brother, Hart, by leading him to Christ. And three months after that, he passed down his faith to his youngest son, to, to me, uh, by leading me to Christ. In six months in the late 80s, we had revival, the Johnson household, because my father was diligent to pass down to his son so they might passed down to their sons and their daughters this walk with Jesus. And since then, my brother and I have had this amazing example of what it means to walk with Jesus. Growing up, I'd be bleary-eyed, walking down, thinking I have to get up at 6.30. This is crazy. And my dad would be downstairs already dressed in a suit and tie doing his Bible study in the blue chair. That's, that's never left me. And later it was a red chair because we had it recovered. <laughs> or the missions trips that he 
he took me on. Or the, how many times has my father, even to this day, walked me off the ledge of stress and anxiety? How many countless hours of prayer has he spent before the throne of God on my behalf, my brother's behalf, my children's behalf, my family's behalf? Fathers, don't you want that for your children? Don't you want that for their grandchildren? Their sons' sons and their sons' sons' sons. Second illustration is of Chrissy's grandfather, Dick Kirkpatrick. He died several years ago. And when we gathered for his funeral, we noticed that every single child, grandchild, and even great-grandchild, every one of them who was old enough had professed Christ. There's a lot of folks. And in that midst, there were two elders in their churches, one missionary and three pastors. What a legacy Mr. Kirkpatrick had. Don't you want that legacy for your family? I know I do. How how does this work? It's not going to happen unless men, husbands, fathers, we prioritize our relationship with the Lord. It it doesn't just happen. right? I wish it did, but it it doesn't. You know, before uh, Moses, speaking on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, goes into the specifics of how they're going to pass down their faith and how we do, he first gives them what's called the great Shema. Shema is a Hebrew word, and it means to hear. And it's the first word of verse 4, Hear, O Israel, Shema Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is the, kind of like the Apostles' Creed of the Old Testament. This was the, we, you know, we say, for what do you believe and for what would you be willing to die? This would have been how they would have answered. You know, in the backdrop of all the hundreds of gods they came out of from Egypt, right? And then as they're going into the Promised Land where there are another set of hundreds of gods, um, It was important to remember that there is but one God. There is but one God. Do we model that in our homes, that there is but one God and to whom we owe worship, faith, and obedience? There are no gods like the one God who saves those who don't deserve it. And He calls His children those who were in rebellion against Him. What other God have you ever heard of that does that? All the other gods are so-called gods. This God is a personal God. He enters into relationship with His people. He's personally intervened by coming into earth itself, taking on human flesh to save us from something even greater than the slavery of His people in the Old Testament to the the Egyptians. He, He came into this world to deliver us from the ultimate slavery to sin and from our guilt and bondage to sin. The one and true God took on flesh to take the penalty for what you and I deserve so that we might enter into the better promised land, heaven itself, the new heavens and the earth. This is what every Christian can look forward to. Don't we want to pass that down? And because of who God is and what He has done for His people in the Old and New Testament, we are called to love the Lord our God with every fiber of our being. Verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Does that sound familiar? Teacher, tell me, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus answered, to love the Lord your God with all your soul, heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's almost like he got that from somewhere. Here it is. You know, Moses could have placed all sorts of other things. You know, the first rule is always the most important. What was, uh, what was Barney Fife's first rule? Obey all rules. Second rule, obey rule number one. Right? It's kind of like that here. 
What is the first rule? To love the Lord your God with every fiber of our being. Don't you love the honesty of children? Sometimes, right? Uh, You ask them a question, you're going to get the answer. Here's a bit of a gut check, men. What if you asked your children, "What, what do I love the most? Who do I love the most? What would they say? There are a lot of really good things out there to love, including our wives. But the overriding overriding purpose and prioritizing factor in our lives must be the love of the Lord God and our relationship with Him. What would your children say? Fathers, wouldn't you love to see your children prioritize their faith with Jesus? Wouldn't you love to see the evidences of the love of God blossom out of their hearts? Well, first, we must prioritize our walk with Jesus. If you want to see your children and your grandchildren in heaven, if you want to have the blessing of one big family reunion in heaven, then it must start with us. Normally speaking, as goes the Father, so goes the family. Well, fathers, when we discipline our children, we must discipline, and we must discipline our children, by the way. That's, that's godly. Uh, if you ever want them to have a godly fear of God, then they must learn authority in the home. We must remember that their obedience and their, or their disobedience, where does it come from? It comes from their hearts. I love telling my children, I, I had the same struggle in my heart. Obedience flows from faith and love of God. We see this in verse 2. You and your sons' sons, by keeping all of His statutes and His commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. We get it again in the New Testament just in a different form. 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God. What is the love of God? That we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. To love the Lord means to obey God. And there is a key connection to the Word of God as we see in verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. My father is one of the godliest men I've ever met. But I also know that his godliness does not come from him. It comes from the Holy Spirit working in him. And you know, in, in all those mornings when I'd wake up and I'd walk downstairs and, and he would be reading the Bible, uh, that's where it came from. That's where it came from. Men, do you want help with your anger? I know I do. Sometimes your anger can be scary, can it? I know mine can. For your selfishness, I, I, I think I repent more of this than any other sin in my life right now is my selfishness. I'm so selfish. Do you want help with your selfishness? Do you want to love your children and your wife better? God's given this description of how to do it. It's by prioritizing our walk with Him, spending copious amounts of time in His Word. That's how His Holy Spirit changes us. It comes from the inside out. Well, fathers, as we prioritize passing down our faith to our children, indeed praying that their faith would be stronger and even more vibrant than our own. Isn't that a great prayer? I got that from Lincoln Speece, the pastor at, uh, at um, Hainville. That my children would surpass my faith, would surpass my love of the Lord. Right? We, we, you should know that this is how God normally does it. It's through the family. God has built the family as the basic building block of the church and of society. That's, that's actually why a lot of these attacks on the family are, are, are 
so tragic in our culture because that, that's really the foundation of, well, everything. God made promises to work through the family. And so you should, you should go through this task with courage and with hope and expectation. Deuteronomy 4.40 puts it this way, Therefore you shall keep His commandments and His uh, statutes, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and your children. We get this again in Acts 2.39, For the promise is for you and your children. Right? This is how God works. He works through families. Praise be to God. There's not some magic formula that you have to climb Mount Kilimanjaro to get to the top to talk to the wise guy up there so you'll know what to do. It's, it's called the family. And so how, as fathers, how do we pass down our faith? How do we pass down our faith to our children? Well, there, there are two things, overarching things in our text here. And the first is that we are intentional, that we're intentional about it. Where do we get that in our text? Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Uh, uh, the Hebrew here uh, actually has the idea of a stone carver chiseling into the stone. And the more you do it, the deeper it goes. You know, and the deeper it is into the stone, the, the more resilient it is to erosion and to the elements. And so as we reinforce our, our love for the Lord and God's call in our lives and our children's lives, as we continue to instruct them intentionally, diligently, taking opportunities to, the Lord continues to... He's, doing, he's the one doing the work, by the way. By the Holy Spirit, He's chiseling into their hearts deeper and deeper. His word, His statutes, His love for them. The idea of sitting and walking here, uh, it's bookends that talk about all the activities of life. right? And so whatever activity, use those activities diligently to teach your children about the Lord. And, and then the, the morning and the evening here of rising and lying down, that's, that's all day long. So all opportunities and throughout the days that we would intentionally carve into our children God's love for them. How many opportunities do we have, by the way? When it's time to read stories at night, read to your children, right? And include a Bible story. Don't set up for failure. Don't say we're going to have family worship one hour every night, every day of the week. That's just not going to happen, is it? Okay? But you can do a lot with, at the end of supper, a few times a week. Start once. Read a Bible story together. Talk about it. Pray with your children. As you go hunting and fishing, what a great opportunity to tell them that God made everything. As we mess up and get sinfully angry at your children, and I know that happens to you, by the way. You know what you get to do? You know what you get to do when, you're, when you mess up and you're sinfully angry at your children? You get to say sorry. And that's really powerful, to, to model for your children repentance. I've had to do that many more times than I'd like to admit. As Sundays roll around, we're faithful to lead our families in the importance of observing the Lord's Day and worship and rest, building these routines. There's a staggering statistic that's thrown around a lot that two-thirds of all young people who grow up in evangelical churches will leave the church after high school and never come back. Two-thirds of those who grow up in evangelical churches will leave the church after high school and never come back. But there's a different statistic that will give you hope. Focus on the Family reports that 90% of young persons remain in the church 
after high school when prayer and faith are, cons are consistently expressed in the home? 90%. 90% of high school students when they graduate will, come, will stay in the church or come back to it if faith and prayer are evidenced and expressed in the home. That's awesome. You can hang on to that. Well, in verses 10 through 15, we have these particular situations which our children are going to need help in. Verses 10 through 12 is going to talk about one of the greatest struggles that the Israelites are going to go through is the fact that they're going to walk into this land and they're going to get all this stuff that they didn't work for. The problem is they're going to be so prosperous. And what's the danger there? Lest they forget about the Lord. They have all their stuff. They no longer feel a need for God. This defines our generation, doesn't it? We live in the most prosperous country, in the most prosperous age ever, all fueled by debt. And here's the thing. Our children have more than the kings of Israel ever had. And if it was hard back then for them to miss God in the midst of all the prosperity, how much harder is it going to be for our children to face the same problems with prosperity? We get the opportunity to help our children see and to navigate how much stuff they have. To not forget Jesus. They need that. They need that from you. Intentionally, too, in verses 13 through 15, we see that another challenge was that um, fathers needed to help their children navigate all these false gods. Right? They were heading into a land that was full of false gods, and there were a lot of sensually, a lot of sensual reasons why people would want to worship a false god. We'll just leave it there. It would have been a big draw. Um, what about today? We don't live in a land that's full, at least in America, at least in Bruton, I should say, that's full of stone statutes of false gods, right? I hadn't seen a lot of them. Um, but that doesn't mean there aren't false gods. Right? In fact, ours are more dangerous because a lot of times they're good things. But they're turned into ultimate things that, that end up ruling our families rather than Jesus. Remember when we talked earlier about what if you asked your, uh, your children, what do I love the most? And, and see what they responded with. As fathers, we must help our children realize that God is God and not fill in the blank. Hunting, sports, academic achievement, popularity, that's a big one. God is God. God is eternal and everlasting. And everlasting life is not found in the latest iPhone. I saw uh, iOS 16 is about to come out. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, Fortnite, weapons, trucks, weapons, hunting rifles, weapons, or our children. And that last one's tough, isn't it? Our significance is not found in our children. And when you model for your children that your significance is in them... It'll create havoc, not just in your life, but real havoc will come in the next one, in the next generation, and in the next one. Before we throw stones at our own kids, we must look at our own hearts. What kind of legacies, what kind of legacy am I modeling for my children, my parties, my actions, my loves? Aren't you looking forward to Mother's Day next year when I'm kind? Well, we have to be intentional, right? In the rising, the lying down, the morning and the evening. Um, but also, there, there are those moments when they're going to come to you for, with questions. 
I love what that preacher buddy said. I quoted him earlier. You can, you can ask me or tell me anything. Just remember who you're talking to. It's a great attitude to have with your children. Um, you know, as godly fathers, we must be intentional, but also must be ready to respond. Verse 20, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? And what follows after that is a summary statement of God's redemptive work for His people to pull them out of slavery. And as fathers and mothers, right, fathers as parents, don't, aren't your hearts just ex- so excited when your children come to you and ask some question about God? I just love that. Just love that, right? Or they ask you hard questions. Mom, Dad, this bad thing happened. Where was God? No one likes me at school. Doesn't God love me? Those are the hard questions that we need to think through. And it's okay if you don't know the answer. You say, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. Let's go talk to one of the elders. Let's go talk to the preacher. I'd love to have this conversation with you. But, but an openness to those, to those questions. Not a, just, I don't want to answer that question. It's because I'm your mother. It's because I'm your father, right? Well, how do we conclude? How do we land this plane? This, this context, this text, contains many hard commands. And, and here's the thing. None of us are up to this task. Not one of us. Not one of us. See, when we seek to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, that, that's actually the second baptismal vow, I think. Um, we do so with God's help. The Holy Spirit is the one who changes hearts. You couldn't change your heart. And you can't change your child's. Jesus changes your child's heart. And that's where prayer comes in, right? Oh, Lord, that you would change my child's heart. Oh, Lord, that you would change my heart. We can't do it. We need God. And this He promises. He works through families. And the more that we understand God's grace and His love for us, that while we are still sinners... What do you do? God shows His love, and love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. The more we're rooted in the gospel and the fact that I'm a desperate sinner in need of God's grace and forgiveness, that's going to help us parent father and mother from a place of grace instead of a place of law. And we're going to get to show the grace and mercy of God to our children. As we admit to them, I don't have all this stuff together. Let's, let's seek the Lord together on this one. That, that's a place of humility and a good place to come from. I've been a father for nine and a half years now. And I know that I've messed up a lot of times, and I also know my biggest mess-ups are yet to come. Right? These have been the easier years. But praise be to God that God gives us the grace we need to fulfill the tasks that He has given us. God is faithful. He who calls you, will, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. We have one perfect Father. There's one perfect Father in this room, and it's not you and it's not me, it's God. So may we seek the one perfect Father as we seek to do a good task of fathering our own children. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that you would help us to be about the business of pointing our children to you. Equip us, O oh Lord, help us to be good fathers, good mothers, good grandparents, good aunts and uncles. Uh, Lord, that we would be diligent to teach those under our care, um, that we are called to love you. May we teach them your love for us. We ask these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.